Hey, welcome to Recruiting Trail. I'm your host, Andrew Nimick of the Oregonian and Oregon Live, bringing you the latest in recruiting for the Oregon Ducks, Oregon State Beavers, and Oregon High School Athletics. Wow, has it been a wild week in recruiting and college football in the last few weeks. Job openings have been available at head coaching jobs at USC, LSU, Florida, Notre Dame, and Oklahoma. Whoever saw that coming a month ago, congratulations. Uh, you are a savant and you can see the future. I, I know certain jobs obviously opened up and we knew those were coming, but all of those jobs, not to mention just locally in the Northwest, Washington and Washington State, it has been a topsy-turvy last couple of weeks, and we're going to see a lot of movement on the recruiting trail with just about two weeks to go until the early signing period for the class of 2022. I also want to talk about how some of those coaching shifts will change things for the class of 2023. But first, I want to talk about Lincoln Riley's hiring at USC. I I think the narrative has been very very poorly constructed by local media and a number of Oregon fans. I'd say the majority of Oregon fans who are not understanding the ramifications of Lincoln Riley going to USC. I, I've heard overwhelmingly the, the majority of Oregon fans and, and in fact, the, the majority of media folks have kind of said, well, this is going to end up being really good for Oregon because it helps the conference. I don't feel that way. And to make sure that I'm not crazy, I reached out to a number of high school coaches and seven-on-seven coaches and some national recruiting experts whose area of expertise is California to ask them about the ramifications for Oregon and all of them. To a man, every single one said, this is a major problem for Oregon. Now, I will also give a positive look at this move, and I'll give Oregon a roadmap, not that they need it from me, but I'll explain a roadmap to where this isn't disastrous. And it's it's not a complete disaster. Oregon's not going to fall off a cliff and be the seventh best team in the Pac-12. Oregon's not going to fall off a cliff and no longer be a top 25 recruiter. That's not going to happen. But, but to give you an idea of the impact, I made a list of Oregon commits of the last few years that at the very least would have been 50-50 to go to USC if USC were good or if Lincoln Riley were there. That list, which by the way, I ran by somebody who knows the area extremely well and covered all of those recruitments. And he said, this list is absolute nails. This is the list. This is a great list of players. Again, Oregon only gets half of these guys. If USC is good, Kayvon Thibodeau, Justin Flo and Jonathan Flo, his brother, although he hasn't had much of an impact yet, obviously Thomas Graham Jr., Javon Holland, Diamador Lenore. Sean Dollars, Mace Funa, uh, Kyron Ware Hudson, and Byron Cardwell. If USC is good, Oregon gets half of those. And they don't get Justin Flo. Just mark it down. The fact that USC wasn't great opened the door there. It made it very likely. It opened the door for Oregon to get Kayvon Thibodeau. It would have been tough to get Kayvon Thibodeau if USC were a power. So when people think, you know, and I've heard this from a number of people, I've heard this from media people who should know better and know what they're talking about, saying, well, if the conference is better, that'll help Oregon strength the schedule in, in the rankings. USC being good 
in fact, USC having Lincoln Riley, who's, who's coached up two Heisman winners, that doesn't happen in a vacuum. That doesn't happen without recruiting ramifications. That happens at the expense of the rest of the conference's recruiting. And when USC is recruiting at an elite level, that doesn't tend to hurt Oregon State or Arizona or Washington State on the recruiting trail. It hurts programs most who get really good California players when USC's not good. Who's benefited the last few years with USC not being good in recruiting? Well, Alabama was able to get Bryce Young. By the way, Bryce Young decommitted from USC because they weren't good. So they'd have Bryce Young. Or if they didn't get Bryce Young, DJ Uyunglele, the Clemson starting quarterback, wore number five in high school because of Reggie Bush. So if they wouldn't have gotten Bryce Young, they definitely would have gotten DJ Uyunglele. And then Oregon has done a great job of recruiting the state of California given that there's been a void. Stanford hasn't traditionally, or the last few years, hasn't recruited up to its standards. UCLA hasn't recruited very well. And people can say, you know, USC always recruits well. USC will always recruit well. There's no, you know, the idea that they haven't been getting guys is is wrong. I'm, I'm sorry, that's not true. Two years ago, USC was last in the Pac-12 during the early signing period. They are currently 10th in the Pac-12 with two weeks to go until the early signing day. I would comfortably say, I feel very comfortable saying by signing day, they will be competing for Oregon for the number one class in the Pac-12. From 10th to possibly number one in two weeks. When USC gets all the talent, when USC is good, and even if you say, okay, pump the brakes, not all the talent, not all the talent. When USC is really good, they get the majority of the talent. And I keep having people say, as long as it helps the conference, it'll make it easier for Oregon to get in the playoff. No, if USC is very good, Oregon's recruiting classes the last few years would take a major hit. They would still be good. They would still be top 15, top 20 classes nationally. And of course, if they didn't get Kayvon Thibodeau, they would get somebody else. They would probably get a different four-star. Mario's a good recruiter. I'm not taking that away from Oregon right now. I just want people to fully understand what it means when USC is good. I had a very prominent seven-on-seven director. I don't, I don't know if they call him a coach or director, to be honest. He runs the seven on seven program. I don't know exactly his title. And he saw back and forth I was having with Oregon fans about the USC hire of Lincoln Riley being good news for Oregon because it makes the conference better. And he DM'd me with just laughing emojis. And he's like, people really don't get it. I cannot believe there are Oregon people who think USC getting Lincoln Riley is going to be good. He said, I just talked to my guys Every single one of my guys who's really good said they would like to go to USC at this point. Lincoln Riley has has a dynamic offense. They throw the ball. What does Oregon do? They run the ball. So there's going to be some contrast there. But when it comes to elite running backs, it's there's the tradition of USC. They can sell Reggie Bush. They can sell Marcus Allen and OJ Simpson on the field. They have a history of great running backs. Charles White. They have a history of great running backs. Good California running backs are going to want to go there. And they're definitely going to get good quarterbacks and receivers. They already have flipped the number two prospect in America for the class of 2023, Malachi Nelson. 
They also are going to flip, and depending on which service you use, he's either the number one or number two running back in the nation for this year, Relique Brown. He's flipping. He's absolutely unquestionably flipping. So within a week, they're going to flip a five-star running back and a five-star quarterback. It's lazy to say this is good for Oregon. It is not good for Oregon. It is not good for Oregon. You're wrong. You're, you're foolishly wrong if you think USC hiring Lincoln Riley is good for Oregon. The recruiting ramifications will be swift, and the recruiting ramifications will be absolutely massive. Lincoln Riley had the number one recruiting class in America primar- for the class of 2023, primarily with California kids when he was at Oklahoma. You think that guy doesn't have California pull? Go back and look at Washington's run when they made the college football playoff. They didn't win a national title, but they made a college football run. What was that built on? Well, a lot of it was built on the fact that, again, USC and UCLA weren't where they were supposed to be or where they traditionally are. Stanford was down. Cal's not doing great. And there was a void for a a prominent recruiter in the state of California. And Washington did a very good job of filling it. Then it transitioned to Oregon, and Oregon became the power. Now Oregon's going to split talent in California with USC. Oregon didn't make a national title run when they were getting most of the talent. It is not going to get easier when it becomes harder to get that talent. That same seven-on-seven coach said, all my kids want to go to USC now, said, it's not over for Oregon here, but it just went from a cakewalk to get the best players they want in California to a serious, serious fight. It is going to be difficult for them to win California. And for the last three years, it's been a cakewalk. Oregon's been the number one and number two recruiter in California. Now it's going to be hard for them. They're going to have to fight to be number two. It's going to be a challenge. I just don't think people understand, and and it's very frustrating to cover this stuff and talk to people who get it, who understand the dynamics, the politics, the way things work in Southern California and even Northern California when USC is good. All those kids dream of the Pete Carroll dynasty. They do. And when they believe there's a guy in charge that can get them there, it reinvigorates that whole area. It's like when the Lakers are good. Laker fans, mm. When they're bad, they don't care. They're not around. They don't care about the Lakers when they're bad. The Lakers are bad. Who cares? But when the Lakers are good, suddenly everyone in LA is a massive Laker fan. It's the exact same thing with USC and prospects in the area. When USC is not good, eh, I'll look around. Maybe I'll go to Oklahoma or Alabama or Oregon. But when USC is elite, that's all anybody wants to talk about. It's the hottest ticket in town. It's the hottest show in town. It's the way it works. I guess to some extent I'm ranting a little, but it's so frustrating because people who should know better, smart people, smart people who cover college football are like, this is great for the Pac-12. It is not great for Oregon. You can say it's great for the conference, that if Oregon, if the conference as a whole has more teams in the college football playoff, they'll get more money. Oregon's not poor. They don't need a whole bunch more money. The best thing for Oregon is to cakewalk every year to the college football playoff and win Pac-12 titles, even in years where they don't execute the way they should. Oregon absolutely blew it against Stanford this year. Oregon played like 
crap against Utah. They're still in the Pac-12 title game. In a year where they didn't execute as well as they should have in some key spots, they still cakewalk to the Pac-12 title game. And if they can beat Utah, they're a three-point underdog. I do think they're going to win. But if they beat Utah, they're in the Rose Bowl again. It's not just that they would play a good USC team if USC were good this year. It would also be go down the roster, find all the four- and five-star California kids, cross off half of them. Do the Age of Ultron finger snap. There go half your guys. That's what this is. Now, Oregon, again, would replace them with other players. But this idea that 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 Oregon is is good for Oregon because when they have the same record, the conference will be better. Well, one, in most years, you went from an easy win over USC to playing a very good USC team and then also potentially having to play them again in the Pac-12 title game. So you just made two games on your schedule much tougher. But you also took the hottest hotbed for your recruiting and went from getting almost everybody you want to having to really fight to get half. As for the class of 2022, I don't think this class, this is going to be a major hit for the Ducks. Kelvin Banks is a Texas kid. If he flips, and I'm not sure whether he's going to or not, I, you know, I know people say, well, he says he's solid. He took visits. You know, he also said he was never going to take visits. So until things are signed, just wait. But I don't think USC's move really moves the needle for him at all. You look at T-Mac, the number three receiver in the country. He says he's not interested in USC. He's not looking at Arizona. He's locked into Oregon. That's a big piece because Lincoln Riley's offense is going to bring in quarterbacks. It's going to bring in receivers. So if he's set on Oregon with this offense that hasn't thrown the ball very much, that's a good sign. The other top California prospects Oregon has, Jalil Florence and Jalil Tucker. Jalil Tucker is staying quiet about things. I think there's some academic questions there, so I'm not sure USC is going to take the risk with him, although he's incredibly, incredibly talented. And Jalil Florence said if USC reaches out, he'll visit. He's solid to Oregon, but if USC reaches reaches out, if Lincoln Riley and his staff reach out, he'll take a long look at the Trojans. But I think in the end, he stays with Oregon. So I don't think the 2022 class for Oregon is going to be dinged. And what Oregon's already built isn't going anywhere. This is a very young team. Next year, Oregon's going to be really, really good. This is a young roster. The year after that, Oregon's going to be really, really good. They haven't even yet gotten, received the dividends from really dominating West, the West region in terms of recruiting. They haven't gotten there yet because those kids are all freshmen and sophomores. Wait until they're juniors and seniors. That's when Oregon will really capitalize on that. So Oregon's best teams under Mario Cristobal, even if, and I don't think it's going to drop off a cliff, even if it were to drop off a cliff today, and it's not going to, Oregon's going to slide from being, I think, a perennial top 10 to an occasional top 10, and usually in the 15 range nationally, maybe 10 to 15 range. That's what I think is going to happen going forward as long as Mario Cristobal's there. I think that's the general expectation. They'll have years where they push for a top five recruiting class, just like they do now. But I think generally speaking, because California got harder, slide them back in the national rankings five or six spots. 
go back and look at those classes that get a Thomas Graham, a D'Amador Lenore, a, you know, um, Javon Holland, a, a Kayvon Thibodeau, a Mace Funa, a Keon Warehudson, a Sean Dollars, take out half those guys and plug in low four-star guys instead. As if those guys are backups. They'd slide down a little bit. It's not devastating. Oregon still be number two in the Pac-12 most of those years. Some years they'd still be number one. But they're going to take a step back. As for 2023, all bets are off with the class of 2023. You know, I talked about it being potentially a top three class in America, and I still think Oregon should have a really good 2023 class, but we're already seeing it. We're already seeing California now flock to USC in 2023. The number two quarterback and number two overall prospect in the nation for 2023 is a California kid. He flipped from Oklahoma to California. The number one athlete in the nation from California is about to commit to USC. The 2023 class, part of why I thought Oregon would have do such a great job is there's a ton of talent on the West Coast. And with Clay Helton getting fired, there was no real vision for anyone to make a major push for at Oregon for that talent. And Oregon was going to clean sweep the West region or at least get a number of good players from the West region. And that was going to be worthy of a top three, top five class in the nation. But with USC being back to where they are as a recruiter, They're not back to the Pete Carroll era. They're not back to being a national title contender right now. But as a recruiter, they just returned from mid to low tier Pac-12 to a juggernaut in recruiting. With that happening, I no longer see Oregon finishing with a top three to five class next year. It could still happen. I just no longer predict it. The other big piece I said is stability within the coaching staff. It looks like very much that Joe Moorhead's about to take the Akron head coaching job. If you're recruiting against Oregon in a head-to-head battle right now, unfortunately, you can say there's no guarantee your offensive coordinator will be there two years in a row. You can say, as a, if you're recruiting against the defense, there's no, no surefire proof that they're going to keep your position coach for multiple years let alone your D coordinator. We're starting to get into the territory where maybe even if you're filling the jobs with good people, it's starting to become a trend that Oregon is losing one of their two coordinators, if not both, seemingly every year, and a handful of position coaches seemingly every year. That is not a massive problem on the field if you replace them with equal or better coaches. But if you continue to do that, it can start to become a problem off the field with recruiting. When you're recruiting a five-star guy and Lincoln Riley's in your living room or Dabo Sweeney's in your living room or Nick Saban's in your living room, and you're recruiting against Oregon, you can say, here's what we've run. Here's what we've run for the last three or four years. This is going to be what we do. And right now, Oregon can't say that. So between the USC Lincoln Riley news and the strong indication that Joe Moorhead is going to leave Oregon for the head coaching job at Akron, 
I think Oregon is going to take a little bit of a hit in recruiting. I think the Moorhead news leaves a little bit of a hit for Oregon. Not because Moorhead was a dynamic recruiter. He wasn't. But if he returns, that's a sign of stability. And that goes away. As do the signs of stability. The Lincoln Riley to USC news is the bigger issue. And if you're Oregon, you say, okay, that's enough negative. That's enough negative. What's the positive? Well, Lincoln Riley has not done a great job as a defensive coach. He's not a defensive coach at Oklahoma, and Oklahoma's defense has been terrible. So if Oregon, as an elite recruiter, and they are still going to be a very, very good recruiter, can still use Mario Cristobal to clean up with offensive linemen, and they can battle and win most of the battles for defensive players because Lincoln Riley and his staff are have been offensively not inept, but not good, we might have something in the Pac-12 that we had a few years ago, only a little bit reversed. Under Jim Harbaugh, Stanford had a dynasty. Great offensive linemen, good tight ends, physical defense against Chip Kelly and this flashy offense that had weapons and athletes and running backs and receivers and quarterbacks and whoo. I think the roles are going to reverse here. USC is going to have an offense that potentially produces a Heisman winning quarterback. We've already seen Lincoln Riley do that. That's not going out on a limb here, folks. He's going to get playmakers. He's going to get receivers and running backs. If you're Oregon, your counter will be, yep, you'll have all the skill guys and we'll be old school Stanford. You be old school Oregon, we'll be old school Stanford. We will have better trench monsters than you. We will out-recruit you. We will out-develop you there. Mario Cristobal should have a serious advantage at o- in recruiting O-line. He still should. That's his bread and butter. And unless Lincoln Riley does a great job of overcoming some of the defensive issues he had at Oklahoma, Oregon should be a better defense than USC. At least they should have a shot at recruiting it that way. So if you've got the defense in the trenches, you got defense and trenches against this dynamic offense at USC. And if you're Oregon, you go, listen, we'll get the linemen. There aren't very many of those. So the gap between what we get at line and what you get at line will be massive. And there are tons of wide receivers, quarterbacks, and running backs on the West Coast. That's what the West Coast does. So you get the number one quarterback or the number two quarterback. We'll get the number three or the number four quarterback. You get a five-star receiver. We'll get a top 60 nationally recruit. That's a wide receiver, a high, high four-star. The gap between your skill guys and our skill guys won't be huge, but the gap between our linemen and our defense will be bigger than yours. That's the vision. That's the vision. Oregon's mentality is toughness, play in a phone booth. Lincoln Riley's not going to be that guy. So Oregon should do better with offensive linemen. And then it becomes trenches versus skill guys. Oh, and by the way, Oregon has a decent history with skill position players too. Oregon has a good history at the quarterback position too. So the gap between what USC gets, even if they get the number one guy, and what Oregon gets getting the number three, four, or five guy isn't huge. But there aren't a lot of there aren't a lot of great linemen on the West Coast. There aren't a lot of great linemen nationally that come to the West Coast. So if Mario gets them, like he always has, and USC gets what they've been getting, or even just slightly better than what they're getting, the gap in the trenches should be huge. There's your positive spin. There's your positive vision. Want to take a quick break? Then we'll get to the class of 2022. What's left for Oregon? 
They've got some spots. They had some big visitors this past weekend, and things went very, very well. What's the roadmap before signing day, and what does this class look like? We'll talk about it next. Signing day, just a few weeks away. What's left for the Oregon Ducks? What should Oregon fans be watching? Lincoln Riley can do whatever he wants at USC. It shouldn't impact 2022 a ton for Oregon because they're not going head-to-head for very many, although they are going head-to-head for a couple, of prospects. What's left for Oregon? Well, Darius Clemens, the Westview wide receiver and All-American Bowl selection, is a likely Oregon pick. I've already predicted he'll go to Oregon. I still feel that way. He says he might check out USC if Lincoln Riley invites him. He might check out Michigan before he makes a decision, but he will be making his decision before or during the early signing period. And I think Oregon wins that battle. I think in recruiting, it's still about relationships. And I think Lincoln Riley is going to do a great job in 2023 and 2024 and, and as long as he's the coach at USC. But I don't think he's going to be able to disrupt the momentum of 2022 that Oregon has in two weeks. I just don't think he can do it. Some folks are saying Cyrus Moss, the number four edge rusher in the country, right on the edge of five-star status. He will be a five-star if he holds this position when ESP or when 24-7 releases their final rankings because he's a top 30 prospect. Top 30 guys all end up being five-stars on signing day. So if he holds his current ranking, he'll end up being a five-star prospect. Some people are saying, well, USC could get involved with Cyrus Moss. Well, he's from Nevada, so he's not completely under that that excitement of LA for USC. He's got a top three already of Alabama, Arizona State, and Oregon. And again, I just don't see a scenario that Lincoln Riley in a week can overcome what Oregon has built. He visited during the the contest formerly known as the Civil War, now unofficially known as the Platy. Sounds like he had a great visit. He sees himself in the image of Kayvon Thibodeau and developing that kind of player. Believe me, folks, he could end up being that kind of player. That's lofty praise, but that's what he could end up being. That's his ceiling. I think Oregon gets Cyrus Moss. So you give him Darius Clemens and Cyrus Moss. That's really good. Then I think there are two, maybe three, serious home run swings. They're swinging for the fences. It's very unlikely they'll make contact, but they're swinging for the fences on three guys. One of them is five-star offensive lineman Josh Connerly. Josh Connerly is a heavy Michigan lean. Them beating Ohio State and that being one of the bigger highlights of the last few years in college football with the pageantry and the excitement that followed after that win, not great for Oregon's chances to jump in front. But they are making a push. Josh Connerly Jr. visited Oregon for the Platy. Josh Connerly told me after that visit he had a good time and that he plans on visiting Oregon again before the early signing period. Two visits in the month leading up to the early signing period. We'll see if he takes that visit. He's told me before he was done visiting Oregon. He wasn't going to visit Oregon. So he's kind of been all over the map. What I do know is that Michigan appears to be a very clear leader for him. Washington maybe can enter the mix. They were the early heavy favorite, and then they became a dumpster fire. In came Michigan and established themselves as the favorite. So could Washington re-enter the mix with their hire? Could Oregon have hosted a couple visits and flown up into the top two or made a push for number one? possible it's possible but right now it looks like michigan we'll see put a pin in it if he takes another visit to oregon that's definitely intriguing and if they can somehow get connerly and kelvin banks 
that vision of USC gets all a lot of the skill guys, but Oregon gets all the top linemen. And the gap between USC's linemen and Oregon's linemen gets very real because Connerly's the number eight player in the country and Kelvin Banks like the number three or four tackle in the country. So you have Alabama's tackles. You have tackles that, that are worthy of going to Alabama. I mean, that's, that's an elite. That's a pair of five star tackles. That's unheard of for Oregon. Those would be the two highest rated tackles, two highest rated offensive linemen in program history coming together in one class. That would be massive. That is that is the pie in the sky. Oh my goodness, Mario Cristobal worked his magic. That's that view. Connerly and keeping Banks. I think they keep Banks. I think it's tougher than people think it is. I think everybody thinks, oh, well, Banks says he's locked in. We'll see. I, I think it's likely, but let's just wait and see because Texas is making a push. Uh, Texas A&M, they're going to try to push him. But uh, Connerly's the pipe dream guy. And it could happen. But it's unlikely. We'll see. Watch for that last visit. Uh, five-star wide receiver Kevin Coleman. I know all over the internet there's been like, well, Oregon's just going to lose. They lost Nicholas Anderson. They lost Isaiah Satanga to Oklahoma and Arkansas, respectively. And now they're just going to replace those guys with Darius Clemens and Kevin Coleman. Not so fast. I, I think they get Darius Clemens. I mentioned that before. Kevin Coleman's a complicated one. And one of the reasons he's complicated is he's been a package deal with three different guys. He's been rumored to be a Florida State lean. He also recently visited both Oregon and USC. And again, USC has really elevated their recruiting status, particularly for wide receivers and quarterbacks, with the addition of Lincoln Riley because of their offense. So I could see it being a Florida State-USC battle with Oregon trying to get in the mix. And Oregon's got a shot. They've got a shot. Mario Cristobal is still a great recruiter. When I talk about all this stuff, people people tend to counter with like, well, Mario's obviously just going to give up then, right, Nemec? That's what you're saying. No, no. He's still going to get half the great players from California, but half isn't 80% like Oregon's been hitting in California, and that makes a difference. It's a 30% drop. It matters. But Mario Cristobal is a great recruiter. Oregon staff is full of great recruiters. They're not going to just go, oh, USC got Lincoln Riley, pack it up. They're still going to recruit at a near historic level in Oregon every year. Top 10, top 15 recruiting classes every year. It's just going to get harder to monopolize the West region talent. And that matters because when you don't monopolize the West region talent, that means it stays in your conference. And that means all your games get harder while the talent on your roster gets a little bit worse. Not a lot worse. A little bit worse. So drop Oregon's talent on the roster 15, 20% and sprinkle that talent mostly at USC, but some other places. It just gets harder. That's all. Kevin Coleman's a perfect example of that. Do I think Oregon's got a shot? Sure. But it just got harder. We'll see. Pipe dream, Josh Connerly Jr. and Kevin Coleman. Oh my goodness. If you get those guys with Cyrus Moss and Darius Clemens and that's how you cap your recruiting class, that's unbelievable. That would be unbelievable. That would be a level of recruiting from Mario we have not seen before. And I keep saying that, but it would be true. If you get Josh Connerly, the number eight player in the country, and Kelvin Banks, two five-star offensive tackles, Oregon's never gotten a five-star offensive tackle prior to Kingsley Suamataia last year. So you're going to get two of them and arguably two of the best three in the nation in one year? That's, uh, that's unbelievable. You get Kevin Coleman and T-Mac? Those are two of the top three highest rated wide receivers in program history in one year. You get Cyrus Moss, 
He's the best edge rusher in the history of the program, other than Kayvon Thibodeau. Pump the brakes. Other than Kayvon Thibodeau. He's the third best D lineman. Haloti Nada is also in the mix among the best recruits ever. So he's in that discussion. If you close with the third best D lineman in program history behind Kayvon Thibodeau and Haloti Nada by getting Cyrus Moss, if you get T-Mac and you get Kelvin, Kevin Coleman, two of the top three receivers in program history, and you get Kelvin Banks and Josh Connerly Jr., the top two offensive tackles in program history and two five-star prospects along at the offensive tackle position, that's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It's on the table still. It's not likely, but it's possible. And anybody telling you they know what's happening with Kevin Coleman is lying to you because the Lincoln Riley situation throws things up in the air. Anybody who says they know for sure what Kelvin Banks is doing, probably lying to you. Again, I think it's very likely he goes to Oregon. It sounds very good. He's saying all the right things. He also said he'd not take any more visits. He was locked into Oregon and he still took those visits and his family went with him. Interesting. It opens the door. And these are high school kids. When I say anybody who says they know is lying to you, I don't mean they're making up reports. In most cases, they're not. It's that kids this time of year who are uncommitted or who are taking late visits tend to be wishy-washy. They're high school kids. Good luck. Good luck predicting the biggest decision of a high school kid's life when they're not 100% sure two weeks to go and immense pressure from family and coaches and friends. It's hard to predict sometimes. And then when the kid is saying different things to different people, it gets really hard. Because he could tell you straight up, this has happened to me. And I still didn't predict the kid would go there because I didn't believe him. He said, I'm committing to Oregon a few years ago. I'm going to Oregon. I didn't write it. I didn't predict it. And I did see other people predict this kid, player X going to Oregon. But he told the same thing to like two other schools. So then on signing day, everyone went, oh, he's going to Oregon. He said he's going to Oregon. He even told Oregon's coaches he's going to Oregon. Okay. He told a couple other schools he was going there. So let's just wait. And sure enough, he ended up somewhere else. So it's hard. You can even, to a guy to your face can say where he's going. And you don't know for sure. And I know fans always want the prediction. Tell us who's going to Oregon. Tell us who's committing to Oregon. I'll do the best I can. I think Oregon gets Darius Clemens. I feel strongly that Oregon gets Cyrus Moss. But when you've got this much coaching up you, And you've got offensive coordinators moving and defensive coordinators moving and primary recruiters moving and five of the top 12 football programs in America just hired brand new coaches. It throws things up in the air and it doesn't make it easy to read the tea leaves. The other player that visited recently is Earl Little Jr., one of the top corners in the nation. We'll see. That might have been a flyer visit. Oregon's going to have a shot. Oregon's going to have a shot because he visited. But it's unlikely he chooses Oregon. We'll see. We'll see. That's probably not what people want to hear. Thanks, Nimick. Listened to your podcast and got a whole bunch of, I don't know, we'll see. If Oregon replaces Joe Moorhead, I know he's not the primary recruiter, but I again, we'll do an example here. Darius Clemens, very likely to choose Oregon. I think it's as close to being done as it could be. If USC reaches out and he's blown away by Lincoln Riley in his pitch, and Joe Moorhead leaves, and Oregon replaces Joe Moorhead with somebody that Darius Clemens doesn't like, it opens the door. 
I don't think any of that's going to happen. I don't think that's very likely. I'm just saying it's impossible to just say this is what's going to happen right now, particularly when we've got Joe Moorhead, who seems to have one foot out the door. I do think Oregon gets Darius Clemens. I do think Oregon gets Cyrus Moss. I do think Oregon holds, holds on to Kelvin Banks and T-Mac. I do think it's likely they hang on to both the Jalils, Jalil Florence and Jalil Tucker. I think that's a very solid recruiting class. But I also stand by what I've said for six to eight months. The bottom third of this class is arguably the worst bottom third of any class Mario Cristobal's recruited. There are a handful of players in this class who you watch the senior film and you shake your head and go, I don't see it. And I'm guessing secretly Oregon knows that's true. And that's just not, that's not just my opinion. I've run that by some folks. Watch this film. Hmm. He's committed to Oregon, huh? Interesting. I think Oregon took some big swings in this recruiting class. And I think they hit on a couple. I think they also missed on a few. And I think they safely took some guys early thinking they develop who didn't really develop. So I think this class is is solid. It's got a chance. I mean, gosh, if they get Kelvin Banks, if the best case scenario plays out and they get Kelvin Banks and Josh Connerly and Cyrus Moss and Darius Clemens and Kevin Coleman, then the top half of this class is unreal. But it doesn't change the fact that from a depth standpoint, this class is leaving something to be desired. I think unless they get Josh Connerly and Kevin Coleman, even if they get Cyrus Moss and, and Darius Clemens, and they just get those two as the major headliners the rest of the way, even if that's what it ends up at, I still think this is probably Mario's worst class as the head coach of the Oregon Ducks. That being said, it's probably the fourth or fifth best class in program history. Because his four classes, or his first three classes, were the three best recruiting classes in program history. So he set himself a high bar. I'm not being critical. This might be the number one recruiting class in the Pac-12. Again, something Oregon had never done prior to Mario Cristobal and hasn't failed to do since he's become head coach. They've done it every year that he's been head coach. But I think it might take a little bit of a step back. We'll see. Man, it could be fun. We could see some major, major fireworks in the next two weeks. We'll be bringing you that coverage on the recruiting trail and on OregonLive.com backslash recruiting. Hopefully, we're, we're reporting a bunch of positives, even if there's some coaching turnover, even if Lincoln Riley is able to flip some major California commits from other programs. Hopefully, it's still very positive news for both the Ducks and Beavers. Thank you for listening to the recruiting trail. Appreciate you.